Before we start today's episode, there's something important for agencies seeking a reliable way to attract new business, especially during busy periods. I want to introduce you to Leaflow Sprint. It's an eight-week program that simplifies your marketing and consistently attracts the attention of potential clients without requiring a massive marketing budget or external sales teams. With my 17 years of experience in aiding agencies to gain visibility in new clients, this program offers a practical and effective approach to lead generation. Forget about unpredictable leads and embrace a method that works across different agency sizes. And if you're keen to learn more, you need to visit caffeine.club slash LFS. That's K-A-F-F-E-N dot C-L-U-B forward slash L for Lima, F for Foxtrot, S for Sierra. Now let's get into today's episode. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Paddy Willis, CEO and co-founder of Mission Ventures, the UK's leading independent operator of food and drink accelerator programs. Mission Ventures has a board that comprises over eight years of industry experience, along with combined exit values of over 50 million for challenger brands they have independently co-founded, including New Covent Garden Soup Company, Little Dish and Ape Snacks. On a practical level, Mission Ventures nurtures scalable challenger food and drink brands with investor introductions and strategic business support. They are also the accelerator partner for the Good Food Fund, which supports healthier challenger brands providing market-leading solutions to childhood obesity and last year announced a corporate venturing partnership with Warburton's. Prior to Mission Ventures, Paddy was co-founder of Plum Baby, the world's first ambient premium baby food. He successfully exited the company within five years, selling to private equity with sales nudging 14 million at retail. Paddy is passionate about startup enterprise and his generosity of time, patience and experience is industry renowned. He has been involved in a range of grocery and tech startups, variously as an advisor, mentor, CEO or investor, and he built the not-for-profit incubator Bathtub to Boardroom into one of Linda's most respected centres for startup support for entrepreneurs. I can't think of someone who can better share insights into the needs and mindset of the Scaling Challenger brand. And I'm confident you'll come away from this episode better equipped to work with your early stage client partners. So without further ado, over to Paddy. So Paddy, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Caffeine Espresso podcast. My pleasure. I'm delighted to uh, join you. And to catch up after we've just figured it out, it's almost five years since we, um, yeah, we last saw face to face. Time flies and babies babies have grown and born. And, <laughs> certainly uh, <yeah>. are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just to get straight to Ken, can you give us an overview of the Mission Ventures mission, so to speak? Sure. Well, we're all about building better challenger brands. Um, and what that really means is, is brands um, and challenger brands that are you know, better for consumers, better for the industry, and better for business and better for health. So the way we do that, um, and, and we started, as you know, about six years ago, actually working in the accelerator world. We were the first um, business in the UK to start working um, in, in, in that process of working on uh, young companies to try and accelerate their growth. Um, what we do now is we, we partner with, with um, organizations and companies where there is an opportunity to deliver an enhanced level of value. So, for example, we have um, two, uh, and we went through a rebrand ourselves um, just, over, just over a year ago to 
um, to mission, mission ventures. And that reflects really the, the work we do now. So we are partners of the Good Food Fund, which is a impact fund um, set up by um, two impact funders, uh, Big Society Capital and Guy St. Thomas' Charity, to really try and find market-led solutions to childhood obesity. So if we wait for government to tax and legislate the market, if we wait for big food to change its ways, we could be here for a long time and the problem's not going to get much better. So this is all about trying to find a way to help healthier challenger brands to shift the market from the bottom up. So how do you do that? You do that by supporting them with kind of business advice and uh, access they wouldn't necessarily already have. Um, and by um, giving them the means to try and um, scale and achieve economies that will allow them to compete and be importantly accessible for lower income families, which is where the, the biggest issues are in terms of options available for families in healthier food. Um, and, uh, and then uh, last year, we also we announced um, our first corporate venturing partnership, which is with Warburton's, which is um, designed to um, help them get closer to innovation in, in the baking sector in general, quite a wide um, scope for that. Um, and for us, it's, it's all about helping the businesses to triangulate, if you like, but by working on their business rather than constantly having to try and go, go out there and raise money, um, we should, as Batch Ventures, be a first port of call for follow-on funding. Um, they get access to the Mission Ventures team, uh, where there's a fair amount of grocery experience in, and brand building experience, but they will also have um, uh, you know, restricted and managed access to, uh, to the resources within Warburton's where that's appropriate. And the, and the model I always, uh, I always use to describe this is it's a little bit like if you go back 150 years or so, it was always the case that people said that, you know, children should be seen and not heard. And that's really the case for startups on the corporate market. Startups should be seen but not heard in corporate venturing. So what does that mean? It means that we as Mission Ventures, as the partner here, we're the nanny, the governor, the governess, the tutor that takes these kids on the journey, develops them, shows the kids occasionally at bedtime to the parent if they're interested. Um, but basically doesn't have to trouble them for several years because it's going to take a while for them to make a contribution to the bottom line of the business, which is where the C-suite are being measured in that corporate, in that corporate um, environment. So we use our skills and experience as exited entrepreneurs. Um, we've not seen anybody else doing the same sort of thing. We're very hands-on with the work we do um, with the brands. We've already become their champions uh, and we're with them for the entirety of their journey, whether that's three, four, five years to an exit. So that, that's the sort of the, the scope of what we do. So it's about trying to find a way to add value to all the players involved. I know from experience back from um, Grocery Accelerator days and um, working alongside you and the, the brands you are currently working with at that time, there's such an incredible level of support that goes into these businesses. It's, it's not to do with just funding. It's not to do with just consulting. There's, um, there's a real sense of family relationship and the brands involved are very, very lucky to have mm -hmm. The calibre of uh, yourself and your your board uh, on board with their brands, so it's um it's a wonderful yeah, and, and it's interesting because often what they'll say is actually look I don't really want the money but I want the support I want yeah. the building I want the access that this gives me um, because suddenly they get an advisory board of people who've built incredible brands like you know you come and cut and soup and so on and it's it's all about being able to um, give them the, um, the the hand to hold or the shoulder to lean on occasionally the shoulder to cry on um, when things aren't um, always going to, to plan but you know we should be able to improve the odds of their success and that's great for for the brand owner and it's also great for the corporate partner um, Absolutely. And, and that's what it's what this is all about you know find the good brands give them the the support the oxygen that they need whether that's funding whether it's business advice um, connections networks etc um, and uh, if you do all of that, then they should have a much better chance of succeeding and, and everybody's happy on, on, on that.
but you're right, it is about a personal interest, you know, that, that, that as a board, we're all in our 50s, we've been here, we've done that, we've got a collection of t-shirts, and this is how <laughs> be able to kind of give back and to be able to, um, you know, almost live vicariously through their experiences, because I don't want to go off and sell a sort of a new food brand, particularly, but I, what I love doing is advising people on and, and giving them the benefit of, you know, hindsight and what I've seen in, on my journeys, um, and uh, and that's incredibly rewarding. Plus, you get the diversity, you know, you're not, you're not stuck with one product, you're, you're, you're working with all sorts of wonderful products and, and amazing people who are totally passionate. And I think uh, and I think to the theme of what we're talking about today, really important to recognize that probably, I mean, I did a survey because I used to say this blithely, and actually I sat down and worked it out. 85% of the businesses that we work with in our various portfolios are founded by people who do not come from within the food industry. Yeah. That's really significant because it means they're on an incredibly steep learning curve. And uh, and this was the case when when we launched Plum Baby back in 2006. And neither Susie nor I had any experience in the, in the market at all. She was a very good cook, uh, but that was about it. And and I was working in global telecom, so you know how how different can it be? But but we you know we managed to find put people around us that that knew knew what they're talking about, and and we had an extraordinary success with that. But it is that point about always being on this this very steep curve of learning, um, and and moving at a pace which a lot of people are not used to. To doing you know things change very fast when you're on that curve um and quite often you'll outgrow people you know whether they're in your team whether they're your advisors etc you kind of cling to somebody really early on but you think my god you know what an sku stands for geez you're a genius <laughs> <laughs> you know that maybe the reason that you are out there on your own doing your thing is because you got kicked out of a number of businesses you weren't really a very good salesperson or very good marketeer or whatever so you know is that you move on and that, that's a really important lesson i think that we try and give to people as well is that you know don't feel that you've just got to stick stick with what you've got from day one because you will change and it's the same with branding your branding almost inevitably will change in its first 12 months of being on the shelf um, very rarely do people get it right first time and that's an important lesson also for your audience yes absolutely and we'll get into the the depths of the the brand design wisdom that you've seen amongst um the challenging brands that you've worked with over over the last few years so what what factors go into the decisions around the brands that you decide to invest in, whether that's money, time, resources? What are the kind of factors that you're looking for? Well, I, I'd probably say there's four main factors. One is, in a, uh, is sorry, is um, people. Um, we've, yeah. we've, we've stumbled before now when we've maybe taken on uh, working with a business where actually, um, you know, quite a lot of interesting things going on, but the, coach, the, the founder isn't terribly coachable. Now, that's not to say that we believe everything we say is right, but what we do need is somebody who's willing to engage and to listen and to, and to consider. Um, and to debate where necessary. So I think people, um, uh, innovation clearly, it needs to be something that's not just another me too. Um, and, and it's got to be a scalable market opportunity, certainly from a, an investment perspective. You, know, you can get some fantastic products, but they're only really ever going to sell to a very small piece of the market. Mm -hmm. um, and it has to be a great product. You know, clearly it's got to be a, a, a great tasting product if it's food or, you know, or indeed drink. Um, and it's got to be something, therefore, it's going to attract repeat purchase. And that's, um, you know, that's the key, clearly, you know, You've got to get the distribution so people can buy it uh, and then they're going to want to buy it again. Absolutely. And at what stage do those brands come to you for help? What, what kind of stage do you well, see? Well, it can be pretty much any, any stage. Um, we, we tend to see, we, we get a lot of businesses come and talk to us anyway, because uh, as, as, as a team of vested entrepreneurs, we know we have our own sort of little um, network, if you like, and people say, oh, so-and-so said I should talk to you about how you did what you did with Plum or with whatever. Um, and, and that means we get to see a lot of businesses before they've gone anywhere near a shelf um, and often before they've raised any money. And what, what we're really looking for, I guess, in terms of the business we will end up working with um, in one of these um, partnerships is, is a business that's already got some level of proof 
Um, it's it's not just an idea. It's not somebody who's you know, Granny says that you make amazing muffins and you sell them to Waitrose. This is something where where you've you've been out there, you've tested it, you've got you've reiterated, you've got feedback. People are coming back and buying it again. That could just be online or it could be at a market stall when those things are open. Um, but it's really about trying to um, demonstrate that there is something there which um, meets a consumer need first, most importantly. Um, you know, we've all seen products which are, are not just in this industry but across the <laughs> across the the sectors where you know just because you can doesn't mean say you should you know because you can make this thing doesn't mean to say everybody wants it um and uh, and that's really important to to be aware of and to be honest about and, and that's i think we're often what we see with a lot of founders is they're quite naive and they haven't really necessarily thought it through from the perspective of um what's going to make their business successful mm. um but yeah so I, I, that's um i would say generally speaking we, we see businesses that are in revenue um uh, to, in order to kind of really be able to qualify for the kind of pr programs we're working with now. Um, Absolutely. But, and I guess uh, that that reaching that revenue and that period of time where you've done the market stalls and you've you've got yourself to that point also proves your determination to be in that area. And it's not just a flight of fancy and a dream. It's something that you are really willing to commit early mornings and elbow yeah. grease to. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, the, as I said, a lot of people are coming not just to this, this industry for the first time as entrepreneurs, but they're often coming to entrepreneurship for the first time. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's, you know, less than, is it less than 5% of people start their own business? Um, and Gosh, is that true? Wow. Yeah, I think so. And I, I mean, there's been a big spurt of people making, uh, start, starting out on their own um, or starting businesses anyway during uh, this last 12 months because of probably obvious reasons but um, the reality is, is it's it's not easy and um, if it was everybody would be doing it so you know um, and, and we all know people that you know I, I'm I, mean, I have set up businesses so I'm slightly different but I mean I'm, I'm the guy who originally had the idea for, for right move in my head um, before <laughs> you know but whatever I'm doing with it so someone else has made incredibly mess <laughs> out of it um, so we've all had those ideas and wouldn't it be great if you know what if we did this that, and then we never do anything about it um, so I have huge amount, huge admiration for anybody that um, sets out on uh, on their own or in a partnership or you know, um, and you know, in whatever industry. Absolutely. So on that note, perhaps a nice point to ask: What is the most common piece of advice that you give to food and drink brands? They don't necessarily have to be the ones within your wider portfolio of people you work with, but also the ones who come along via your network and get your advice on a specific topic. What do you feel like you most often say to them? Well. I guess the mistake that we most often see is is a brand owner not really fully fully grasping and nailing what their consumer um, need is, and and then being able to express that, you know, we've 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 seen many great brands, and and, and actually, you know, I'll be honest, sometimes we have this problem ourselves. You know, when people ask you, I was going to say at a dinner party, that doesn't happen very often now, but <laughs> who are back in the day, yeah, you know. Who are mission ventures we do a lot of different things i haven't even mentioned working with overseas brands and agencies to help them understand how they might land in the uk but the point point being that um you need to be really clear what your usage occasion is and what the consumer need is that you're meeting um and then be able to clearly express that so you know people get seconds to make an impression on the shelf um, and that's really hard and that's obviously where you know where founders need to turn to a really good um design agency and branding agency to be able to help them with that um have they translate their passion their vision their idea and the product into something that people are going to pick up off the shelf um so definitely consumer need um 
I guess the other things that we see as very common areas, and I wince sometimes when people, you know, I, you get around to talking about sort of, you know, what kind of gross margins are you working with at the moment? And, and, and you, you just think, oh, Brian, you just haven't got a business. You know, you've got a product and, and, and maybe a nice proposition, but it's not going to be a business because you just can't make money doing this. Um, I'm linked to that, I guess, is often people don't allow enough money for marketing costs so that, you know, they, by the time they've got into a store, they haven't got anything to sort of fire it up and get it off the shelves. Um, and I guess the other thing as well is, you know, that the, which I've alluded to before is, you know, be, be prepared to change, you know, be prepared to um, uh, pivot the brand um, and, you know, and, and just have that awareness that nothing is fixed. Absolutely. I really, um, the, the second to last one you mentioned really resonates with me. I mean, as somebody who's graduated in marketing and spent my entire working career in marketing, when I started a B2C brand, I did not leave enough margin for marketing. <laughs> I mean, you'd think I'd know. Um, but uh, a whole series of other factors that went, uh, went into that at the same time, um, which was really unfortunate. But there was that was something I was in control of and I, I ignored it and thought it would be okay and I think um, my advice to any entrepreneur in whatever sector would be always err on the side of caution when it comes to margins because you don't know what's going to happen and I guess when it comes to production particularly in food and drink that's particularly important as well. Yeah and, and the marketing budget's always the easiest to cut because it's the one that you have control over it's a variable that you, you decide um, and yet if you start doing that when things are tight that's probably when you need it most absolutely absolutely agree with you um so i guess that fits quite nicely with the next question what common mistakes do you see early stage food and drink brands make when it comes specifically to design um to design i guess it's uh well it's, it's again it sort of comes back to this point about expressing clearly what it is that you are and what you're not um uh and i think there's there's a general inclination to over communicate on packaging um which is obviously the key denominator normally in this sector because that's usually where people are going to come across you first unless you're a direct consumer uh, proposition um so is that that you know that inclination to throw everything at this thing and hopefully something's going to shout out at the consumer but often what will happen is the consumer picks it up or doesn't pick it up because they're thinking like just haven't got it don't know what this is don't know how i'm going to use it quite expensive and put it back <laughs> so i think that's the usual thing is is is, is clarity you know uh, less is more um and you know and we've we've seen examples over the years of, of businesses that are you know maybe focusing more on trying to um just really nail one or two key propositions uh, on front of pack and letting the rest sort of follow um so i think that's that's probably the big it's really interesting you say that because that's come up a lot over the last six months nine months um when we've been I've been working with coaching clients on thought leadership and a topic that keeps coming up is which brands have succeeded as we've shifted from physical retail to online retail, particularly quickly and urgently. And um, the reality is when you're looking at something on a cardo, which is where I do my shopping, <laughs> the, the image you're looking at, the front of pack is absolutely minuscule <laughs> compared to being in a supermarket. It's just, you know, the laws of where it's been presented. And, um, you can tell the brands who've really considered what their online presentation is versus um, in-person presentation. And those who in-person retail really tried to get as many messages on the front of pack of po as possible have really um, suffered when it comes to the shift online. So I think now more than ever, that's um, a really important point to bear in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so do Mission Ventures advise on which design firms are a best fit for their brands? 
we yeah i mean we tend to obviously we we have exposure to a number of different um designers and agencies uh you know from from our own experience plus businesses that we work with um and so yeah we have a reasonably good view of of who's who's worth a call and who's probably best to steer clear of um i mean there are some incredible agencies out there but you know they won't get out of bed for less than you know a hundred thousand or so which is a, a famous um industry uh position um and in fact the business that we first worked with and um, the agency we first worked with um plum is uh you know that's just not viable you know and i think that's the other really important thing that you know we try and um instill in the founders we work with is you know less is more when it comes to it, it comes to funding um i'm not sorry not funding so you, you need that's the other thing people never raise enough money but just because you've got the money don't go and spend it you know we generally speaking as a rule of thumb would say you can get really good brand design done for about give or take around 15k um and you shouldn't really have to spend a lot more than that now we all know there are agencies many of whom i'm sure are listening to this who's, who will charge a lot more than that um but the, the important thing is that back to my earlier point you know there's, there's usually a stepping stone process here which is that you won't necessarily get it right the first time um when it's out on shelf you will inevitably find that you need to tweak the message um, maybe the pack size needs to change. All sorts of things will will, will inform your journey, um, and with that will then come a, maybe a review of what the brand needs to, to be and say. Um, so I think you know back to my earlier point: always be prepared to change and uh, update. Um, but yeah, you know we're we're very much in the sort of lean startup um, mentality of of, um, of of keep it keep it tight. Hello, Charlotte here. I'm going to take a good guess that you're tuning in because you want to grow your agency to the next level. So I wanted to let you know about the caffeine-free five-day mini course. In this fantastic and completely free training, you'll get an email a day for five days, jam-packed full of simple strategies that will give you the courage and confidence to grow your design agency. Just go to caffeine.club, that's K-A-F-F-E-N.club and hit free course to get access. Now back to the conversation. Uh, that's interesting because one of the questions that I've noted down were which stage do you think agency and brand should seek each other out and be most beneficial to each other and what I'm hearing from you is that initial design phase is almost contributing to the MVP the minimum viable product um, to see how it behaves in the market see who it's most appealing to test out those theories about who's actually going to enjoy this and which retailers is going to be a best fit with and then go back and do round two so where would you when do you think it's the best time to partner with your kind of golden agency? Or do you think that um, brands are best placed to start an enduring relationship with an agency who understands they're likely to reach that um, second phase where they need to do a redesign, but that it's not a reflection of how good that previous design was? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot in all of that. I mean, I think the key thing is that, um, that they need to be engaged, um, at the, you know, at the definition stage when you're defining what the brand is um and and, and you know lean on the agency to be able to an experience to be able to pull out that into a physical manifestation you know of, of what it is and what the messaging is and how that's presented and how the the whole everything from you know the color scheme the palette and everything else reflects on what the brand is um so i think it's it's um it's really important to be in there early on and i think also to flip it you know that the, the the agency needs to understand as well that, that you know this is going to be a journey um and uh this shouldn't be a sort of wham bam thank you ma'am situation and most most people don't want that because obviously that what they you know as i know you do you coach people into how to go about their business development and they don't want to really be doing business development they want to focus on what they really love which is creating creating stuff yeah so what you want is you want long-term relationships and so i think you know to that point um 
uh, you know, something I've seen a lot of agencies do over the years uh, is, um, you know, you go in there as a brand and, and you'll, you'll you know, often be attracted to them. I, I, well, maybe you got a maybe you got a recommendation or maybe you just like the brands that they've done work for in the past. Um, and the, and they'll, the agency will wheel out the A team and they'll wow you and, and impress you. And, you know, and then you'll find that all the work's being done by the B or the C team. Um, and I think, <laughs> yeah, you know, but, but with the, with the reassurance that, that the A team is you know is on it and going to keep at it and the rest of it, and and um, you know we've seen that before. I've even seen it in PR agencies. Um, and and people need to, you know if you buy into the entrepreneur, which is really important, you've got to buy into the belief and the passion of that individual uh, as the agency. Um, then you should have the commitment to to make it make it happen. Um, you know, and we also know you know I know from working with you in the past that. You know, there are there are big agencies where, you know, actually what they really rely on is not just making another tweak to somebody's teabag, but actually to be able to, um, uh, which has been in the market for decades and, they, and gives very little creative freedom to the, to, the, to the agency. But what you really want is you want a relatively clean sheet of paper where the agency and the design is involved. Got, they've got a new bone to chew on. They can really go to town on it and come up with something which is extraordinary and possibly wins awards. And that's, I know, where a lot of agencies will sort of say, right, OK, we're going to get the, this is where, you get some fresh thinking involved here. This is what's going to be motivating for the team. Um, so they need to factor that into the bigger picture of what actually is their agency about. What does it mean to be an employee of the agency? Um, what are the opportunities you're going to have when you're there? And look at it as you're not going to get it all right. You know, all these businesses will eventually um, not work. Uh, that's the sad thing about this, you know, startup world. But yeah. but but again, look at it as the journey. What was the creative process? What did it do for your team? Finally, you got your bill paid. You know um, what 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 came from that, um, and that's you know, we we tend to take that sort of more holistic view. Absolutely. As you're talking, I'm just thinking an area that I really need to look into more is what value comes from smaller, earlier stage uh, brands working alongside smaller, earlier stage agencies. Just the synergies in terms of how they think about their business, their passion, their ambition, the reason for doing it, which isn't always the money, rarely. <laughs> At the start, is it about the money? Uh, but about creative freedom or, you know, freedom in terms of um, their work setup. And uh, something I'd like to investigate more, actually, perhaps chatting to um, a few smaller brands to understand, the ones who've worked with smaller agencies, to understand what they thought the value um, came from that relationship. Yeah, because because you know everyone learns something from from every experience, and and you know going back to the, the you know the batch ventures and Warburton's, that's something you know an example where they they're, they're world class at what they do. But you know Jonathan Warburton will say we we know what our limitations are. So we you know we know that we, we will never be able to you know it's, it's five generations since we were a startup. Uh, <laughs> so, nice way of putting it. Yeah. So you know so so that's why you know again. Um, exactly. What, what what could you learn from working with someone who, you know, if, it, if they're one of the 85 percent that doesn't come from the industry that, you know, I, I think back to our time with Plum Baby, which, you know, when you're making baby food, you can't afford to get it wrong. Um, so obviously we're bound by the limitations of what you can do to make a safe product. But when it came to the branding and the positioning and the, and the language and the vision and everything came around was was completely different to whatever everything else was on the market. And that's what gave us the opportunity to, to scale as rapidly, you know, as, as, as we did. And I think, um, that's uh, and there's you know there's an example if you were the agency that was working on Plum Baby by the time we'd sold it and then eventually that sold to a company that we got bought by Campbell's Soup and Campbell's Soup closed the operations in the UK so if you were you know although you probably might have lost the account along the way but there's a brand that no longer exists in the UK despite having been you know a, a darling in the industry when it when it came out um, so you know there are there, there are ways and means in which case you may lose your account um, but if you if you do a great job then you hopefully that'll be a springboard into other opportunities. 
Absolutely. So on that note, who should get in contact with you and when? I mean, I'm sure you don't want to be inundated by um, the design agencies listening. So what, what do you think is the best way to reach out to you and I guess other people within the portfolio? Yeah, well, as I would say for sort of brand founders, um, it's, it's when you've got something that is, um, has proven its point to a degree. And that's not to say that you're suddenly in mass distribution, et cetera, but um, you know, it's, it's when you've road tested the ideas, you've got demonstration of repeat purchase, you've got some understanding what it is that the consumers are seeing in your product. Um, and, and that's where, you know, if I look at the work we do these days, um, it tends to be bound by, you know, in the case of the Good Food Fund, it's about looking for healthier alternatives to mainstream foods. We started out with children snacking, but we're moving into uh, a number of different areas and hopefully the fund will scale uh, later this year to be able to do a lot more uh, across the piece. Um, in the case of Batch Ventures, it's all to do with businesses that, or brands that use um, baking in some shape or form, baking mixes, could be frozen cookie doughs, could be all sorts of things. Um, and then, as I said, we will hopefully have other partnerships where we will be doing other, other categories, um, and uh, which is very exciting because that's our, our whole focus is how can we be that sort of linchpin between the two worlds, the, the startup world and the, uh, the corporate world. Um, and as agencies, um, well, you know, there's always design work required, and we do get a lot of approaches from people um, uh, off, you know, out of the blue saying, "Can we can we work with you?" And the answer is, it's actually not working with us; it's working with the founders that we work with. Um, but but we, you know, we're happy to look at people. Um, but ultimately, it is not our call as to who's going to get that contract. We will we will try and sift out and, and use our best judgment as to where we think there's a potential um, approach, as much as anything that could be. Um, suitable to both sides, the founders and the, and the agency. Um, but yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're a revolving door when it comes to the to work we do and, and hopefully we'll be doing more work with more brands and more sectors. Um, yeah. So watch this space. So actually just um, as you were talking, I thought of something there, which is, is always a hot topic when it comes to how to approach a brand and um, as an agency and set yourself aside, uh, set yourself apart from the competition. To what extent do you think uh, proof of uh, ROI and the effectiveness of design is an important factor for the companies you work with choosing their agency? Or do you think it's more about the aesthetic and the creative? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I've not heard anybody talking about ROI when it comes to um, brand work. I mean, I think... Um, it's hard to measure, that's why. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to measure. It's a little bit like I think, how do you measure social media, um, you know, as a as a line of activity, um, but I think uh, the the important thing is that that you know if if a, if, a, if an agency can demonstrate how a, you know maybe a, um, a fresh design has taken a brand from position A in the market to position B, um, and the, you know and you can tell the reason why this was because the brand standout was stronger or because they they changed the messaging or whatever it was that that um, uh, that made the difference. Very hard to do when you've got a new product because obviously you've got no track record to measure. You don't know whether it was the product, the reputation, the, you know, the zany founder, or whatever it was that was um, uh, was, was tripping the products into the baskets. But yeah, um, so I think it's um, you know if you can, great. But but be mindful that actually early on with a startup, what they really want to do is make sure that you've got what you've understood what their you know the why of the founder and their brand. Um, so I would say. You know, if I was approaching, uh, if I was an agency wanting to approach a, a founder of a brand, I would be wanting to get under the skin of what is the, what is that founder saying about their brand? What's what you know? Have they have they 
what are they posting about their product and their brand and and you haven't got to do you know days and days of research on this you're not you know you're not trying to win mars or whatever as an account but you should be able to at least understand where that person's coming from and why they've um, set up the brand and then be able to play back to them you know so don't just say look here are the here are the cards we've already played these are the brands we've worked with look at aren't we great um, because sometimes that's actually quite could be quite off-putting but if you can say look i love what you're doing i really get it i you know and to me your brand speaks of um you know other brands that i know and maybe i've worked with and i could demonstrate how i managed to help them so make it personal you know that, that what you got to you know come back to this point about less than five percent of people go off and set up their own business this is a very special individual um they're taking a real risk you know they, they could be risking everything you know family relationships they could be risking house you know their livelihoods everything to follow a dream to follow a, a passion and most of the people that we work with i would say are, are you know they've got well they're doing what they're doing because they they've been dissatisfied with something else they've seen in the market that was certainly the case when we launched one baby um or they feel something can be done better or maybe they've um stopped having to you know maybe they can no longer consume certain types of products uh or product ingredients and they've sort of said i really miss that can i reformulate it in a way which is good for me and accessible but also could work for other people and get, you know get under the understand don't just say look how great we are um because that's a real turn off um everybody can do that um but personalize it and i would say absolutely that's true of selling anything absolutely it takes longer but if you really are passionate about the brand and you do want to work with them that's the biggest signal you can give them the respect of their time um by doing your research properly beforehand and just lastly um hopefully a less heavy question what's your favorite business book paddy well one which i read just as we were putting the business plan together for plum baby so back in sort of 2004 2005 um and which i keep very close to me because i often wave at the people on these kind of screens <laughs> behind some rubbish is um seth godin's purple cow yes um, it still still holds true today that what can you do to be a purple cow uh, and those for anybody who on the on listening who doesn't know it very briefly you know seth godin american with his family driving through france on holiday many years ago um because i think the book came out about 20 years ago um and oh maybe less but uh, the point being that you know the kids in the back saying oh man gee look cow uh, and after a while this gets really tedious but then after a while they stop saying Oh, the gee, look, cow, because they see cows everywhere. But as he says, you know, in, in his book, he said, what if they saw a purple cow? And that would really stir things up. So this whole thing about how can you be purple? You know, how could your agency, um, as an agency owner, you know, what, what makes you purple? Why would you stand out? Um, what, what would, you know, there are quite a few agencies in the market. Um, how would you stand out? And, and I think it's a fantastic book, easy to read. You could kind of read it on a relatively short train journey. Um, and uh, it's, even though the market's moved on in terms of e-commerce and, uh, tech and, and social media and stuff the, the examples he gives are still very uh, still very valid completely agree with you and you're not the first person to recommend that book either so okay. company. <laughs> um paddy thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it and it's been excellent from a personal perspective to catch up on what you're doing and understand what direction mission ventures is taking it's really exciting um all the different projects you're working on and um i look forward to hearing more from you guys thanks charlotte i really appreciate it just before we wrap up, I want to touch on a crucial opportunity for your agency's growth. As a creative agency, your primary focus should be on delivering exceptional work, not getting bogged down in sales and marketing. And that's where the Leadflow Sprint comes in. It's an eight-week program designed to streamline your lead generation process, bringing in a steady flow of potential clients to you. No more struggling with the ups and downs of trying to gain the attention of new business. 
Our program includes hands-on support, including direct input on your copywriting, ensuring a bespoke approach to your lead generation needs. No more feeling stuck in the feast or famine cycle. Our real-time support, including direct feedback on tasks like copywriting, helps you to bid farewell to inconsistently and embrace a lead generation system that's tailored to your unique needs. Visit caffeine.club slash LFS. That's K-A-F-F-E-N dot C-L-U-B forward slash L for Lima, F for Foxtrot, S for Sierra.